We're just going to let the music play here a minute. I just want you to, uh, as you kind of start winding down your conversations, let's just, uh, again, just stand up. And let's just start praising God, okay? Would you just give him praise right now? May the music go up just another notch there. And let's just give him praise. Just stand up and just give him praise. Praise the name of the Lord. Just give him praise where you stand. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your praise, your power. God, may this place be a, a, a house of prayer. God, may we, your high praises of God be lifted high. Just give him praise right now. Just everybody, just out loud, right where you stand. Just praise him. Oh, God, may you be praised. May your name be lifted high. May you spoil all the works of the enemy. May the deadly pestilence, may it be killed. May you stop the fowler who comes with his snare. May you shelter us under your wings. May your presence ever be in our midst. May the love of God come over us even now like waves of liquid love, pounding away, just pounding away at at our hearts, at our minds, washing out all the disturbances, every distraction we have. We need a clean mind, God, before we put on the helmet of our salvation. Clean the mind, Father. May we renew our mind in the spirit of holiness. May the praises of your people be forever on our lips. God, as you clean our mind, as you give us a pure mind, Father, God, now we just move to our heart, God, as we, before we put on that breastplate of righteousness, God, just give us a pure heart, a heart that's sensitive to the Spirit of God, sensitive uh, to what you're doing, and, and, and responsive, God. God, as we put on the belt of truth, God, may we take up the word that is powerful in truth and integrity in our heart. And God, may we take up that sword of the Spirit, God, by which we are able to, uh, to fight close up and, and, and in battle with the enemy, piercing the division of the soul and the marrow. And God, we take up the shield of faith and all those fiery darts that come at us, God. They come at us not to kill us, but to frighten us because, God, we are protected by you. And so, God, we give you praise for that, that shield of faith that we hold as we plunge that shield of faith that in that day would have been made of leather, God, we plunge it into the water so that the fiery darts are extinguished the moment they hit. The sound that whistles in the air, we know, are the indiscriminate, indistinctive arrows shot by the enemy, not aiming at any one soldier, but just trying to frighten the entire group, the entire uh, standard of men and women who stand up in the name of Jesus. And God, may we put on those, uh, uh, the preparation of the gospel in our shoes. Father, may we be always ready to give an account for the hope 
within us. God, give you praise and thank you, God. And now, having done all to stand, let us stand therefore and see the salvation of the Lord our God. The mighty Lord, holy is your name. Praise your name, Lord Jesus. May you be exalted above every name that is given in this name and in the age to come. As we plead the blood of Jesus, we know that we are more powerful than, than all those who come up against us, not because of our strength, not because of our might, but by your spirit, says the Lord. May the spirit of the Lord, the living God, right now fill every heart. Fill every heart. May you have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. Praise you, God. We give you praise. We give you praise, Almighty God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Be seated, guys. Page 100 um, in your book. There's about four major sections here on page 100 that are to me are just um, just so so powerful so valuable to us look what he says in in uh, when he begins if the church does not pray are you ready for this one God will not act if the church will not pray God will not act the church will not pray God will not act. God waits on you. You want to see me move? Pray. You want to see what I can do? Pray. Because that would nullify the, his plan to prepare her for her rulership through the on-job training in enforcing Christ's victory at Calvary. Wow. If it were not for his determination to bring her up to her full stature as co-regent, God would not have established a system of prayer of all. There is no intrinsic power in prayer as such. Prayer is simply God's appointed means of accomplishing his work in the world. I don't know if you remember this, and, and I, don't, I don't know how significant it is in our minds, but uh, probably a, maybe four weeks ago I made this comment. I said, if we're frustrated with ISIS, then why don't we pray? Why can't we why can't we take on those mantles of authority? Why do we why do we just sit around and gripe about it? God, and, and not, oh God, would you please do something? No, we have authority. You speak to the demonic forces behind ISIS. God, we 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 command the forces of darkness that have manifested themselves in ISIS to stop and we cast them into the hands of Jesus. We put a cross between us and them. We plead the blood of Jesus. And in the place that we've occupied in our heart and our mind of whining and complaining and sorrow and defeat, we put only victory. We have to take authority, guys. That's what he's saying. God is not going to act. God will let nations be wiped out unless the church acts. That's hard to believe. Quick story. World War II is over. General D Douglas MacArthur was a committed Christian. I don't know if you know anything about him, even though there was a general of such name. But MacArthur, when he got there and he was, he was supreme commander over 
uh, over Japan, he, he made this comment. He said, I need 30,000 missionaries here in Japan as soon as possible. He called for missionaries. He said the Japanese people are ripe for the gospel right now. But America was so offended by the war, even the mission agencies would not send missionaries in. Now think about that. We're offended by what you did to us in the war. We may help rebuild your country, but we're not going to go over there and try to bring you to Jesus Christ. There were a handful of people that went, but it was such a small and pitiful group that they couldn't make a dent in a nation that now is very far from God. So it's incumbent upon us to hear that call of God and respond to what God wants us to do. Amen? Um, If he chose, he could act arbitrarily without regard to prayer or lack of it. All power originates in God and belongs to him alone. He ordained prayer, not primarily as a means of getting things done for himself, but as a part of the apprenticeship program for training the church for her royal duties, which will follow the marriage supper of the Lamb. Can I just say, what if that's true? Okay, I, I believe it is, but what, let's just go, what if that's true? You know, my, I only know, I only have one quote from Walt Disney, okay? And it's the best one he's ever made, because I don't know any others. He said, when everybody said it won't work, he said, but what if it works? What if people show up for a mouse? Can I just say this? What if it works, guys? What if, what if this works? What would, be, what would your life look like if this works? Paul Youngie Cho, now known as John Youngie Cho, but Paul Youngie Cho in his book, The Fourth Dimension, which is a really amazing book, he, uh, he tells a story of a woman who came to him wanting a husband. And uh, he said, she said, Pastor Cho, would you pray for me? I want a husband. And he said, well, what kind of husband do you want? And she hadn't thought about that. She just wanted a husband. And she said, well, what do you mean? What kind of husband do I want? Well, do you want a tall one, a short one? Do you want a skinny one, a fat one? Do you want a smart one, a dumb one? What, what, do you, what kind of husband do you want? And she went off thinking about all of that. And the years went by, four or five years went by. And a young woman and a young man showed up at church there in Seoul, Korea and said, Mr. Cho, I don't know if you remember me, but uh, you, I asked you to pray for a husband and you asked me what kind and I made a list. And I had 21 things on my list. And all I did was pray. I didn't go looking. I just started praying. And she said, and this is him. This is, the, this, this is the height. This is the weight. This is the vocation. This is everything I prayed for. What if it works? What if God would actually like to answer your prayer? I mean, just, just, just do the what if. I believe he wants to, but I think just for a minute, just Play the game. What if? What if God could actually come through like that? Let's go a little bit further. Unless she, that is the church, understands this and enters into sincere cooperation with God's plan of prayer, the power needed to overcome and bind Satan on earth will not be released. God has the power to overcome Satan without the cooperation of his church through prayer and faith, but if he did it without her, it would deprive her of the enforcement practice, rob her of the strength she would gain in overcoming. We gain strength by overcoming difficulty, don't we? 
That's how we overcome it. We get stronger that way. So what does God do? God puts adversity in our midst just like he put a thorn in the flesh in Paul because he, had, he was more interested in the end result and the, in the finished product of Paul than he was in Paul's comfort. We are more concerned about our comfort, therefore we shy away from anything uncomfortable, difficult, challenging. Philip Brooks said this in the 1800s. He said, do not pray for easy lives, but pray to be strong men. Do not pray for, uh, a, pow- uh, for a power equal to your problem, but pray for um, a problem equal to your power. Did I say that right? Do not pray for power equal to your problem, but a problem equal to your power. Yeah, do not pray for power equal to your problem, but a problem equal to power. How are that supposed to work? And whatever is that supposed to sound like, write that down. Okay. Okay. So anyway, it goes on. Okay. Let's, let's just read a little bit further here. I just want to read, and then I'm going to take you to the book of Exodus, okay? So God has the power to overcome Satan without our cooperation in this church through prayer and faith. But, he, but if he did without, he would deprive her of the enforcement practice, rob her of her strength, and, and, and what she would gain in overcoming. This is God's primary reason for inaugurating the system of prayer, unequivocally binding himself to answer. Therefore, there is no authority apart from persistent believing prayer. You know, I'd like, to, I'd like to see us get to the place where we were praying specifically and saying something like this. We want to pray that every week at the cross in front of our church, five people are saved. I mean, just start with something. That's our prayer. We're going to pray for five people to find Jesus Christ at the cross in front of our church. They're just coming to the post office. They're just sitting ducks. They're sitting ducks for the Spirit of God. We're going to pray for five people every week, and we're going to, then we're going to, we're going to start giving that report. Hey, how do we do this week? We prayed for three, then let's pray harder. We prayed with three people, then let's pray harder. We only had one, then let's pray harder. We had seven, let's pray harder. You see how that puts, that puts a tangible measuring stick on our prayer? Isn't that what you do when you pray? You go, I got an, What? An answer to prayer. Everybody likes to talk about an answer to prayer. How about this one? Hey, I want to tell you about all my unanswered prayers today. I had 24 unanswered prayers this month. I just want to rejoice in them. Nobody does that. We rejoice in what God does. We see God working in our life and in prayer. Okay, now take your Bible, and let's go over to the book of Exodus, chapter 17. Exodus, chapter 17. Probably a story you've heard before probably one you know as well or better than I know it, okay? But let's look at it anyway. Exodus chapter 17. I, uh, I really appreciate our prayer team. I just want to say that. If you're on that prayer team, thank you very much for being on that. I appreciate um, everyone who's working, you know, at the, at, the, at the prayer wall throughout the week, you know, everybody that's doing that, I just appreciate it so much. And I also appreciate just recently, you know, um, um, I think Doug mentioned it, maybe a couple others mentioned it. We'd really like to have some very specific prayers for some very specific people for leadership in our church, and we'd like to start setting up a rotation. I thought, you know, this story talks about that. So here's a story of, uh, of Moses, Aaron, and her. Had to get one girl in the story, Right? 
Come on. You know, some of you go, oh, that's cool, <laughs> right? Okay, let's look at it. Now, here's what's happening. God has just brought water out of the rock. Okay, I want, to sh- I want you to see what's happening here. Verse 4, seven, chapter 17, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do to get this people? They're almost ready to stone me. Okay, and the Lord said unto Moses, go up before the people, take, take the rod and, um, and then strike the rock. And so what does he do? He goes over and strikes the rock, right? And what, what happens? Water comes out of the rock. Okay, Paul tells us in Corinthians what the rock was. What was the rock? It was Jesus. What was the striking of the rock? Crucified. He struck the rock. It was a picture of Christ being crucified, and now out of that are going to flow all the power of redemption. That's the picture. Because I was crucified, because the water began to flow, because you began to see living water coming out of that rock, he's teaching them in typologies, teaching them in word pictures here. And as they come out, what's the next thing that happens? They meet the enemy, Amalek. We talked about Amalek the other day. Remember the Amalekites? And how in Deuteronomy 25 it says that they would come up behind and they would take the, the weak and the, and the young and the stragglers and they would, they would kill them. And, and God said, I've, I hate, God said, I hate Amalek. I hate Am, the Amalekites and I want to wipe them off the face of the earth. That's pretty strong stuff, right? That's God talk. Okay, now watch what happens. Now Amalek came, verse 8, and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. Okay, Joshua, you're the general. You're going to get down there, and, and you're going to get in the battle, and, and there's, going to be a, there's going to be a bloody battle going on here. I mean, it's going, to get, it's going to get really crazy down there. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up on the hill and be safe. That's not what he says. He says, I'm going to go. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said unto him and fought with Amalek and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed and when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. Okay, I want you all to do this right here. Just do this motion with me. Okay? Okay? Now that that motion right there is called Yadah in Hebrew. It's where we get the word Judah. Judah means praise. When the hands were up, what's going on? Praise. Praise. When the arms went down, what happened? Praise stopped. This is a picture of of, of the praise and the prayer of prevailing over an enemy. When this happened, the rod rod wasn't sufficient. It required yadah. Okay? So now watch this here. Okay, this is really powerful when you begin to see what's happening. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone, put it under him. He sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. You imagine this scene? Here's Moses, advanced in age. He's sitting on this rock. He's got one guy on each side, and they're holding his hand up. He doesn't even have to do it in his own strength. He just has to have it up. When your strength runs out, you need someone to hold up your hands. 
or you're not going to win the battle. I mean, just you do this for very long. Even if you're spiritual, it gets hard. Doesn't it? I'm spiritual. You know, I'm singing. Then every once in a while, go, there's no blood in my fingers right now, right? I got to recharge. Okay, I'm in, I'm in again, right? Or maybe you do the half you die. You know, I'm in here. You know, I'm just kind of flowing with it, right? You know, oh, this one here, you know, holding the baby kind of thing. I mean, I got this whole thing going on. But the idea is here, what, why was the battle victorious? Why, what was, where was the real battle? Let me just put it that way. Where was the real battle? It was in the spiritual realm. The real battle was not in the valley. It was on the hill. The real battle is always on the hill. That's why Jesus died on a hill. It's where the real battle always is. It's always on the hill. God will always take the high point as a good military strategist in defeating the enemy. He will always have you sing the high praises of God in defeating the enemy. He will always allow you to see the enemy coming from the hill. Jerusalem, it's on a hill. Mount Moriah was on a hill. God always operates from the high point. Man always gets down in the valley. He wants to slug it out. He wants to use human reason. He wants to use his own sword. No, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but they're divinely, power, divinely powerful for the breaking down of strongholds, Paul told us. All right, go on with the story here. I don't know about you, but I just I get so excited I can just see this stuff happening. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword, and the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for memorial in the book and recount it, the hearing of Joshua, and I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. I don't even want to, I don't even want anybody to remember there was an Amalekite. That's how thoroughly God will deal with your enemy. Then Moses built an altar and called the name of the place, the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war for the Amalek from generation to generation. Anybody ever had a banner? You ever seen, you know, sometimes churches have banners, right? You know, schools have banners. What do you do with a banner? Huh? Right? Isn't this a banner? You ever watch those old uh, those old westerns, you know, where the, the Calvary's, you know, they're charging in, right? You know, the, and, and, and who's in front? The skinny guy with the little flag, right? You're bad with a sword, bad with a pistol, you get the flag, right? And here he is, he's riding up, he's got the flag, right? And everybody's protecting the flag. Because Why? Because the flag represents the authority and the power of the entire company. They're riding along like this. That guy gets shot. What do they do? They pick up that. They don't even care about the dead dude. He just, he's gone. He's done. He looks, he's still moving, but he can't carry the flag. He's, we're on. Pick up the flag. On they go. Why? The power and the authority of the company. When you march into battle, when the flag is in front, it is the Lord Jehovah Nisi, our banner. Our banner. Waving the flag. Oh, this is great. This is great. God is in control. God is all powerful. We're going to go and victorious. 
why do you send the guy with the flag? Send the guy with the, the best swordsman. That's what I would do. Send the best swordsman. Who is he? No, no, no. Send the guy who'll carry the banner. David goes out against Goliath. He's going out with a banner. You know what his banner is? It's a proclamation. You come against me with sticks and stones. I come against you in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. That's a banner. It's a banner. He says, who sent this dog out to fight with me? He said, basically, this dog's going to cut your head off. And I'm going to let your carcass be fed to the wild birds. The demons are going to eat your carcass. what's going to happen to you the banner goes in front he built an altar you know what he said let's worship and let's praise there it is let's worship and let's praise worship praise worship praise oh joshua he's down there man he's got the sword He's got the word. It's a picture of the word of God. He's down there like that Ephesians 6 guy with the sword. He's cutting in both directions with that two-edged sword, piercing division, in the division of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. He's down there. But what's winning the day is praise. Just praise. And now let's go worship. Got that banner? Bring that banner over here. Got that altar? Let's get that altar over here. Bring it in here right now. Let's start to praise God. Let's start to give him praise. Let's give him glory. Amen. Okay. Page 109 in your book, please. I'm going to miss this book. We might have to teach this again, huh? Uh, by the way, if any of you need an extra copy, we have a few, and um, I think they're, we're charging $10. I don't know what they cost, but we're charging $10, okay? I think that's a good price. Uh, top of page 109, so this point, uh, on to this point, S.D. Gordon in his Quiet Talks on Prayer says, it is a fiercely contested conflict. Satan is, tra- is a trained strategist and an obstinate fighter. He refuses to acknowledge defeat until he must. It is a fight for his life. The enemy yields only what he must. He yields only what is taken. Therefore, the ground must be taken step by step. He continually renews his attacks. Therefore, the ground taken must be held against him in the victor's name. Now, turn your Bibles to Ephesians 6. This will probably be the last section we'll get to really jump into in the Scriptures because this is such a good section. We don't know how good some, some of the Bible is until we just study a little deeper. Have you ever noticed that? You spend a little bit more time and you go, wow, I never saw that before. And the Spirit of God, what does he do? He opens your eyes. You know, I, I'll tell you something. You go, that's cool. And then all of a sudden you read along and go, oh, that's even cooler. God, Because God showed it to you. Amen? Okay, now look. Let's, let's look at this here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now put on the armor of God. Okay, so here's what he's doing. It's a, it's a command here. He says, I want you to put this on because the devil is wily. He's tricky. He's cunning. He's smarter than you are. He's been watching your family for generations. He knows exactly where the weakness is. He knows exactly where to get the best of you. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Do you really think any conflict that you really have is against flesh and blood? I mean, are you really, really that far removed from this scripture? It just looks like it's flesh and blood. It just looks like it, that's all. But it is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So what did he do? He just gave you a hierarchy of, of darkness. And he said, and they're floating around in heavenly places. So, therefore, here's what I want you to do. Take up the whole armor of God. Have you noticed he says this whole armor of God twice? He says it, already said it twice, the whole armor. Why? Because you're tempted to take part of the armor. You know, I got the helmet. You know, I mean, it's kind of like the, you know, you got two kids, you only got one uniform. Okay, you get the helmet, you get the shoulder pads. Right? You go out there and play football. You know, the kid without the helmet, he's going to lose, right? But he feels big because he's got the shoulder pads. You feel, I, I got the shoulder pads on, right? Comes in, his head's all beat up, bruised, got black eye. You know, what happened to you? Well, I, I got the shoulder pads. Shoulders are good shape. Great. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Not all days are created equal. He didn't say be standing an evil day. He uses, a, he uses a definite article here. You ought to take note of that. You ought to circle that. It's the evil day. There will be a day that Satan is going to attack. He's got it on his calendar. You don't even know it exists. There is the evil day. That's when he unleashes all the power of hell to try to bring you down. And sometimes you look back and go, Dang, that was a bad day. Or you feel that onslaught or, you know, you, you know, whatever happens, it's the evil day. It's the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking up the shield of faith by which you're able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Let me tell you how you know they're fiery darts, okay? You know they're fiery darts because they frighten you. They, do more, they scare you more than they do damage. You know, the whole purpose of the fiery dart thing is to scare the army. Oh, no, fiery darts are coming. Well, what do you think? You're going to catch on fire? Why the fiery darts? It's like it's almost like this picture of hell. I'm dipping this stuff in hell. I'm shooting these fiery darts. And guess what? Where are the archers? They're way back, right? They're shooting from a long way up. They're, they're behind the lines, and they're, they're taking these fiery darts. They're dipping them down into some kind of pitch, some kind of oil, and, and they're shooting these fiery darts, and they're shooting a thousand. They all shoot at the same time. It's not like one guy going, okay, my turn. It loses its all effect because you're not aiming at anybody. You're just hoping to scare the entire army and get them to move out of position. And guess what? When all those arrows come, what does it sound like? Like a freight train. Oh, my gosh. Here come, listen to that. You know, about that time, you turn around and take off running. You know, and take one in the rump, right? Oh, 
No, stand your place. So what they would do is they take these 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 shields in that day were leather. They wrapped them in leather and then they put bands on them to hold it all together. And they would take those leather shields and they would hold them down to the water till that leather was soaked and that shield was heavy. They said they would get it as heavy as the sword so it would balance them in battle. Now, when that fiery dart hit that leather, that soaking wet leather, guess what it would do? Just extinguish it. Here it comes. We are washed with the water of the word. You take, the sh- you take your faith and you dip it into the word. That's where you get it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God. You dip it in the water. You get ready. And then what they would do is they would interlock. So I've got most of my shield in front of me and I've got my friend's shield over here. Because we were never meant to fight alone. The lone warrior gets a tombstone. So here we are. We're fighting together. We're fighting together. We're not fighting against one another like, you know, the, the army that were routed there, the Syrians that were routed against the battle in, in Jehoshaphat's day. We're not fighting each other. No, we're interlocking. We're ready, and here they come. If you look at the armor, what's really interesting about this is there's nothing protecting the back. You're not meant to run. You're not meant to, you're meant to face the enemy and stand. And so let's go on with it here. Taking up the shield of faith by which you'll quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful of this with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So I've got to pray for everybody because we're in this together. Now, one other thing I want to show you here before we go any further. Verse 17, the word, word there, the word of God, that's not the word for Bible. That's the word rima. Okay, so let me just give you a quick, quick insight into that. The word logos, L-O-G-O-S, is a reference to Scripture right here. But rima is when you get a word from the word. God is showing you what word, what you need to speak to me in this situation, in this battle situation that's going to help me win this battle? Guess what? Here's a little insight. Just mark this down in your, somewhere in your notes or in your Bible. If you put it in your Bible, you'll always have it. You know, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus said, man shall not live by um, bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, he uses the word three times in that section, right? Every time it's the word rima. Because he pulls out of the book of Deuteronomy and he quotes and he says, let me, I've got a word from the word from the book of Deuteronomy, Satan, it is written. It is written. It is written. God gave me insight. See how powerful that is? Okay. Um, And then it goes on to say, I just want to finish up this section. Um, Being watchful to this end, watchful with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly, make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. How's that for a worldview? You know, I'm the ambassador in chains. I'm the jail ambassador that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Okay? 
All right, I'm going to stop right here. Tammy, you're going to, you want to close this section out? You ready? Yeah. All right, let's welcome Tammy. So we do want to close. Um, many of you have, if you were at IHOP, you were part of um, one of our sessions where we really just did some um, entering into the throne room. And we want to do that tonight. I know Drew's has quite a story. And, and many people, if you've actually had um, an encounter where you took yourself into the throne room, the Bible is very clear in Revelation 4, where the Spirit of the Lord tells John, the apostle, to come up here. So what we're going to do is we're going to just close with a little exercise tonight that I want to walk you through. So if you have your Bible, open to Revelation 1. And how many of you feel that you've had an experience that you've actually entered into heaven? We actually have had an experience where you've entered into that spirit realm. Okay. And for the rest of you, I'm hoping tonight might be that, that time for you. But um, in Revelation 1, I want us to start there. And most of us go to Revelation 4 and 5, to the actual throne room. And we'll spend some time there as well. In a moment, John's going to play a song for us. And I'm just going to um, give you a little word picture that I think is something that God just really um, showed me this vision. And it's kind of was my first introduction to, to moving into the throne room. But I want to read. Sorry, I wasn't prepared. I was over there taking notes. And I think I was a couple things I underlined that I thought were, was so good in our book for tonight. I want to get to that. Now, I think Phil made mention of it, but, um, oh, it was just so, so good. On page 102, it says, um, if our theology of prayer is scriptural, then prayer is where the action is. John Wesley was correct when he said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And if God's not doing anything in your life right now, maybe it's because there's a lack of prayer. And I mean intercessory prayer where you go in and you spend time with the Father and you intercede. That means you stand in the gap. You, you intercede in spirit places and spirit realms. Um, the next one I love this is prayer is striking the winning blow. You know, I know when I'm, um, when I'm doing warfare, I'm very... Uh, sometimes I'll come home from my walk, you know, and Phil will say to me, he can just tell. I feel, um, I'm trying to think, I sometimes feel weak. You, know, you think you should be all fired up and all, well, and I'm coming back after praise because I listen to my Kim Walker and I'm praising. And the other day I was coming home and I was singing because I didn't take my headphones. So I just took my, my phone and I stuck it here on my shoulder and I'm walking and I'm singing to the top of my lungs. And Phil said, was that you? I heard you coming down the street. Now I didn't care. I was just singing. And when I'm praising like that, I'm just all fired up. But when I'm really doing warfare, sometimes I come home and everything about me is weak. Because I really believe that I've contended. There's certain things I'm contending for in spiritual forces. Does that make sense to you? If you've done that, you know, because it's a battle. Sometimes you're fatigued because you've really gone in and done spiritual warfare. Um, I don't have my glasses, so we're going to have to look at this together. But I want you to look with me in Revelation 1. Um, and actually, what I think I might want to do is I might want to read it to you, and you can go back in your own in time and, and read it, but maybe just close your eyes with me, and John, in just a minute, we're going to play that song. But I love this because it tells us that um, it's the vision that John had, and God 
really just came to the spirit of the Lord came to, to John. And I want you just to kind of envision there's John on the island of Patmos and the spirit of the Lord came to him. The spirit of the Lord came and maybe the spirit of the Lord has come to you before and it's spoken to you. Many of us have, and maybe even just recently had visions and dreams. And you know, the spirit of the Lord has come to you. He's prompted you. He has spoken to you. He has led you. He has laid someone on your heart and you just feel that spirit coming. And in verse 10, John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet. So there was John and he hears this voice and the voice said, John, I am the alpha and I am the omega. I am the first and the last. What you see, I want you to write down in this book and to the seven churches, which are in Asia. And he lists there the seven churches. And he says, then I turned and the voice spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. I want you to vision those seven lampstands. We'll talk about that in a minute. And in the midst of the seven lampstand, listen, one like the son of man. I want you just right there to get a vision of the son of man. And so sometimes when I'm like in my prayer room and I'll just get on my knees and I'll just get this vision. And this is how I see it. Just like the scripture says, the son of man in verse 13, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about with a chest of a gold band. So here he is in all white, a white robe. So you can see Jesus, the son of man all in white, and there is a gold band around him. I want you to know that's royalty. It's a picture of royalty. It's our royalty with him. He is a picture of our royalty, and he wants us to come and understand that he is our king. He is our priest, and we can approach him with royalty. He goes on, and he says, on his head, his hair was white like wool, like snow. And I get this picture, and I see him because, see, from the top of his head, all the way down through his white robe is purity. I want you to know that the son of God is pure and everything about his is pure. And he wants me to realize that when I come to him, I come to here in purity. He is pure. He is everything about purity when I come to him. And he says, as he goes down, there is this garment and his feet are girded about with this chest, with this band. And his eyes are like the flame of fire. And so when I look into the eyes of Jesus, I see fire. And when I look at that for me, it is he, everything is burning up. When I look into the eyes of Jesus and I have this moment when I'm in that throne room, I look into his eyes and it pierces so deep that there is nothing, there is nothing that he will not, um, with the flame and with the fire burn up, that he will burn it up. And I look into his eyes and there is that flaming fire, both of righteousness and I feel just of, of burning away everything that needs to be burned. And it says that, he goes on and he said, and his feet were like brass, as if refined in the furnace. And I see, and I look down, and there are these brass feet. And to me, it symbolizes that he can handle anything. There is nothing too heavy. There is nothing too hard. There is nothing too difficult. He is stable. So when I hand him whatever I hand him, he can handle it because he is my stability. So his feet are like brass, refined fire, and his voice like the sound of many waters. And if you're like me, I love going to a spa, and you just kind of hear that water, don't you? Because his voice is calming. And so when I go to the throne room and the Father speaks to me, he speaks to me in calm words. He comes to me and he calls me into him. He pulls me into him and he reminds me I'm his daughter and that he loves me and that he's pleased with me. 
And it's very calming when, I, when I'm in the throne room with him. And he goes on and he said that in his right hand are the seven stars, and out of his mouth a sharp two-edged sword, just that sword that Phil was talking about. You see, out of the mouth of Jesus is the word of God. So when I stand before him, everything that's coming out, everything he's telling me is from the word of God, that I know is pure, that I know that it's honest, that I know that it's just. And he goes on and says his countenance, and this is what I love because I look into the face of Jesus. He says his countenance is like the sun shining in strength. So when I look at him, everything about him is bright. Everything about him is strength and strong. And I love what John says, and he says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if dead. And I've had encounters when I've gone into the throne room where literally there was nothing in me of me. It's as if when I looked in the eyes of Jesus and I saw the flame, I saw the royal band, and I saw the white hair of purity, and I saw the feet of brass, and I walked through all of the elements that John saw of Jesus in that throne room, that all I can do is fall down. Because I don't know, church, that we really understand when we worship who we're worshiping. I don't know when we go into that time with our Abba Father that we understand the power and the authority and the righteousness and the holiness of this Jesus. And when I'm in that throne room with this Jesus, I am humbled and I am broken and I am as if dead. And John said, as I fell at his feet, but what did he do? He laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. Oh, John, I am the first and I am the last. I am he who lives. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. And here's what I want us to do before we go into prayer. And I love this part, guys, because he says to John, I have the keys of Hades and death. And I want you to know whatever right now represents Hades and death to you, Jesus has the key. He has the key to your difficulty. He has the key to whatever the enemy is bringing over you. He has the keys to Hades and death. And sometimes when I'm in that throne room and I go with a heavy burden, he reminds me he has the keys. He is the keeper of the keys. And what I want us to do, I just, I love the rest of that passage. Um, it's so cool because the lampstand are the churches and the stars are the angels. And when he says, I love this, let me just, I have to finish it. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels and the seven uh, churches are the lampstands. And I want us to get this picture right now that he loves his church with all of our flaws and all of our difficulties and all of our problems. He loves his bride. He loves his church. And he has seven angels in that right hand ministering. And so what I want to do is I want us to enter into a time. Right now, there's a great song called Revelation Song. And I want us to enter in. And if you, ha if you have your Bible open to Revelation 1, if you forget, um, I just want you to, again, just kind of get a visual picture of that he is, he is clothed with this white garment, that his chest is a gold band, that his hair is white as wool, that his eyes are a flame of fire, and his feet are like brass. His voice is the sound of many waters, and in his right hand are the seven stars of the angels. 
His mouth is a two-edged sword, and his countenance is like the sun shining in strength. And when we fall as though dead, he says, do not be afraid. For Tammy, I hold the keys to death and Hades. Tammy, nothing that anyone would bring against you will stand. I am your daddy. I am your father. I am your healer. I am the lover of your soul. I am your God. I am your Yahweh. Come to me. I'm going to ask you just to stand and get a vision right now of Jesus. And hopefully tonight you'll take some time and maybe go to chapter 4 and 5 and enter into the throne room with the 24 elders seated around a crystal sea of glass with the tree of life in the middle. And if you know the song, feel free to sing. Because this is the the lamb that was slain. Father, we just come to you. Father, we know that we are destined for the throne. Father, we are destined. That is our home. And Father, these exercises are just preparing us for where we will spend eternity. And Father, just teach us what it's like to be in the throne room. Father, in my own personal life, when I read through Revelation 1 and I read through Revelation 4 and 5 and I put on music and I I try to get myself wrapped in that spirit realm. God, you just cleanse me of everything that is Tammy. You show me everything that is in my heart. Father, you show me the hardness of my heart and you show me, Father, where I sin and you show me the purity of your heart. And so, Father, just teach us, Father, how to be faithful in these exercises. Father, teach us really where your heart is. And I I pray, Father, that we we can enter into the throne room more often often 
God, I pray that we can just worship you in your righteousness and your holiness. God, I don't think we have a clue what it's like to just really stand in the presence of an almighty God. Father, in your righteousness and your holiness. And so, Father, as we have studied this book, Father, help us to have hearts that are destined for the throne of the almighty God. Father, and through prayer, teach us how to pray. We are no different than your disciples, God. God, when they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, Father, we need to know how to pray. The most powerful thing we can do as a church is pray. And the most difficult thing we do as a church is pray. And so, Father, I pray that you will teach us how and give us a heart for prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I just want to pray right now. Father, I want to pray right now for this church, your bride, in Jesus' name. Satan, you are a liar, and you have no authority over this church. You have no authority over what God is doing. We see warring angels. We see ministering angels, and we call upon the warring and the ministering angels on behalf of Influence Church. Satan, we tell you, you must be gone in Jesus' name. We say all confusion and all demonic forces be gone in Jesus' name. Father, we know under the blood of Jesus, you will bring everything to light that needs to be brought to light. We thank you. There are, there's just purity in Jesus. And so, Father, show us everything we need to do as your bride, as your children, as your church. All of us, Father, unified, that we would allow that holy, that holy light of heaven, Father, to turn on our hearts and our life, Father, that we could be one with you and walk with you. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being a part of this church. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to pray. And I know, Father, that this is, this is difficult days that we are in. We are coming back, Father, from South Africa. We are coming back from IHOP. Father, we are starting a mission agency. Father, we are starting a, a prayer ministry. Father, demonic forces don't like that. But we tell you, demonic forces, you have no say. You do have no authority because we are walking out what God's called us to walk out. So we unified, Father. We're unified in, in, in spirit right now, and we're telling you that we want to be obedient to the things of God. And so, Father, see our hearts. Purify our hearts. Anything, Father, anything in us. We give you permission to show us, Father. We want to stand before you. We won't stand one second before an almighty God that everything isn't seen. We know that, Father. And in that throne room, you illuminate everything. So, Father, we just, that's why I believe John fell before you, Father. Those 24 elders, they fell before you because you are righteous. So we fall before you. We fall before you, Jesus. And would you do in us what you need to do? And would we be a royal bride, worthy to be called the church? We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Boy, praise be unto God, huh? Amen. Just praise be unto God. Um, hey, just a couple of uh, just a couple of kind of housekeeping things. Uh, one, if we can fold up tables and chairs, that would be awesome. Milt will love us more than ever. Um, but also, if you need a book, I have I have a few up here, but I have more. So I'm, I'm not run out of books. I think we got about ten more left, and they're I think they're ten apiece. So if you want to grab one of those, that's great. If you don't, no problem. Um, and then the other thing, the schedule uh, on school and ministry, we need to adjust a little bit. So. We will meet next week, 
with uh, Corey Stark. Uh, it'll be a great time with him. And then we won't start for two weeks. Okay, we'll adjust that on the web. I don't know uh, if Nathan's got to that yet, but we'll get that adjusted. We'll, we'll get it all up. So just know that next week, and then you're off for two weeks, and we'll start up after that, okay? I think that'd be like the 28th maybe of April, something like that. Okay, thank you all. God bless you. Have a great week, huh?